This episode marks the beginning of the first actual season of the Canadian Psychological Association's podcast, which now has an actual name and graphics designed by our wonderful graphic designer, Adam Ashby Gibbard. Welcome to Mindful. My name is Eric Bowman. I'm the communications person at CPA and the host of Mindful. With the winter upon us and the possibility of a second wave of lockdowns across Canada, we identified five areas that may be of concern to Canadians during this time, and those are the subjects we'll be tackling over the next two weeks. For no good reason, except for the need for some kind of order, uh, we're going to go across Canada with this season, starting on the East Coast and ending on the West Coast. We're going to begin this first ever episode of Mindful in Newfoundland, talking about children. It's a real sign of the times that we live in right now, uh, that one develops relationships with people in ways we never probably would have before. Uh, and I feel like I've developed a relationship with Janine, our guest on the CPA podcast today, solely via email communication. My name is Eric. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association. And I've been speaking with Janine for months now, ever since the pandemic began. She's the voice of psychology in Newfoundland and Labrador in the sense that if you see an interview on radio, TV, in the newspaper, in Newfoundland and Labrador about psychology, it is almost certainly with Janine. She's been doing a lot of media appearances, and she's agreed to do one more here with us on the CPA podcast. We're going to talk about children in the time of COVID uh, and going into the winter months, how to approach schooling with your children, what to tell them about Christmas, and how to deal with all of those challenges that may come our way in the coming winter months. It's a real pleasure to be able to speak with her in person for the first time, in as much as this is in person. It's the best that we've got for now. Uh, welcome to the program. Hi, my name's Dr. Janine Hubbard. I'm a child psychologist located in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, and I'm also the current president of the Association of Psychology, Newfoundland and Labrador, otherwise known as APNL. Thank you so much for taking the time, and we just want to talk a little bit about children and COVID and the possible second lockdown that's going to be taking place over the course of the winter and how kids can navigate their way through that and how parents can help them do so. What are you seeing are some of the issues that have come up, especially among young children uh, with the lockdown so far? Well, it's been so variable uh, for many people, depending kind of on their own life circumstances, on family situation of members, and of course, where in the country you're living. Because the pandemic experience has looked so different, you know, depending on a lot of those factors. And you in Newfoundland and Labrador would obviously be seeing it much different uh, than we are here in Ontario or that they are in Alberta. So the children that you speak to uh, on a daily basis, what are they talking about? <laughs> Well, again, and it really is interesting to see the different perspectives um, because for those of us who do have family and friends and colleagues in other provinces, yeah, certainly in Atlantic Canada, we've almost been feeling a little guilty because things have gone so well, although it has led to some new developments that I never would have anticipated. For example, in Atlantic Canada, we're developing a fear of strangers, a fear of outsiders, um, a, almost a hostility to anyone who isn't from here, which goes so counterintuitive to your normal uh, thinking around, you know, Atlantic Canada's warmth and embrace and welcoming of people. So it's been interesting to work with kids in terms of how not to stigmatize 
uh, either people who are from away or who, in our case, have parents who work away and come back, because that's been an interesting segment. And I think that's something that, I mean, there's obviously been an increase in xenophobia, an increase in racism, and a lot of that is online driven. Is there a component to that that uh, you discuss with children about being online? Oh, indeed. Well, one of the biggest things I think that I've been talking to kids about over the last seven months is empathy and flexibility. And I think if nothing else, hopefully that's one thing that this pandemic has um, well, basically forced upon a lot of us is flexibility. The fact that information changes constantly, that restrictions are changing all the time, that what we were once looking forward to, we're now having to shift our expectations and try out new things. And some things perhaps haven't been as bad as people anticipated. Uh, when masks were first introduced, there was a lot of resistance. And now if you talk to most people, they're kind of like, yeah, it's, you know, yes, it's annoying. And for some people, it's a real issue. But for most people, it's not a huge thing. Uh, but empathy, trying to, again, work around that stigma, uh, that idea that people who uh, do contract the disease, who do test positive, we want to provide empathy to them. We don't want to provide suspicion and anger and upset and, you know, because uh, there's almost been a shaming for people, at least here, who've been coming down with the disease. And so really working with kids to help them understand the need for empathy uh, for their classmates, for family members, for communities. Our, our graphic designer, Adam, told me that he has very young children, I think uh, five and six, and yep. he dropped his uh, six-year-old off at school. So school's opening again, and, you know, they talked in the car all the way. Okay, it's important. You have to wear the mask all day, and here are the rules and so on. And he opened the door, and the kid got out, ran right over to another friend, and immediately traded masks. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> You're thinking, oh, no. Right. Um, you know, like, how how is that conversation in the car going to go where the actual behavior that we're hoping to see happen actually takes place? Well, and what we're hoping, and I know this doesn't apply to all areas of the country, um, I was really pleased that out here we introduced it during a low-risk period so that people can learn from their mistakes. And I think that's been a process we're going through for all of this is that none of this is written in stone and we are learning as we go along. We're constantly receiving new information. We're constantly having to, I hate the word pivot, but we are, we are pivoting constantly so that we are all going to make mistakes, whether it's the suddenly in the middle of the grocery store going and picking another cart and going, oh, wait a second, that one hasn't been cleaned. What am I doing? To, oh, right, how do I take my mask on? How do I take it off? What about, you know, kind of hugging my friends on the play the playground? These are all things that we're hoping people are doing in as low-risk an environment as possible so that they make the mistakes, they realize the mistakes, and then we're able to kind of adjust the behavior accordingly. There's a little girl on my street that I think about all the time. And since, uh, you know, for most of the summer, I was able to work in my garage. So I was kind of outside, you know. <laughs> My neighbors across the street had a kiddie pool in their front lawn, so it was like I had a beachfront view in a way. Right? It was like waterfront. Uh, it was it was beautiful. There you go. But, Embracing uh, the positive, right? Yes, exactly. The reframing and reshaping the positive. And just down the street, there's a group of kids, and they get up to about 20 of them at a time, and they play basketball on the weekends all the time together. And 
none of them wearing masks, none of them distancing, obviously from a number of different houses, and they all come together yep. on the corner of the street here, and they play basketball. And there's a mom who walks up and down the street with her little girl who might be six years old. And this little girl wants nothing more than to just go and play with her friends. And her mom has to tell her, you can't. And trying to explain to, and I'm guessing she's about six, trying to explain to a six-year-old that all of your friends are doing that thing that you can see them doing right there, but you can't because we are observing the rules. I don't know how you can explain that to a child of that age. Again, it's, well, with all of this, it's sitting down, and as opposed to sitting down and trying to explain, asking kids questions, asking them, what is your understanding? Why do you think we do this? Why do you think we as a family set these rules? Why do you think other families have different rules? And explore with her, in this case, her understanding and her questions that she may have. Uh, One of the things that's been fascinating during the pandemic, including my own self-discovery, is realizing on the spectrum of rule following, as individuals and as families, where do you fall on that spectrum? Are you someone who, um, you know, directive comes out and you are following it to the letter of the law? Or are you someone on the other end of the spectrum who's kind of going, no, I'll make my own decision, thanks. So, and I hope that created some interesting conflict within families when people differ on that spectrum. But talking to your kids in terms of how do they feel about the rules and do they understand them? Because that's an essential piece is if we just are told rules, but we don't understand why we're trying to follow them, it's really easy to try to resist them and uh, get oppositional around them. Yeah. And I I think another uh, thing that there's obviously been a split on is that a lot of kids are being sent to school here in here in Ottawa, here in Ontario, yep. and other kids are being kept home and they're doing it via Zoom or they're doing it uh, remotely. And I imagine that's a source of questions for for the children who are being kept home or the children who are going into school. Absolutely. And again, some of it is uh, having conversations with them in terms of explaining perhaps it's because, you know what, uh, we have a grandma or a grandpa, a man and pop, who live with us, and we are worried. So that's one of the reasons that we're doing things from home. Or it could be explaining because of work situations, we need to make these decisions. Or it could be that, um, no, actually, we, you know, because um, in some cases, parents have to send the kids to school because the trying to have them do it from home just isn't possible. And some wish they had the luxury of being able to do it. Uh, But it's talking to the families and talking to your kids a little bit, again, about how are they finding the experience. Because both of those experiences have good things and bad things that go along with them. And we have different kids who are responding. Some of them are thriving in either environment and some are struggling. So figuring out, you know, what are the good things? What are the bad things? What are you liking about it? Because it is different in either situation. And I suppose there is uh, quite a lot to like about it if you can frame it in the right way. Uh, I know a lot of kids, of friends of uh, friends of ours, who are schooling their kids at home, and their kids have actually taken to it after a little while. It took some adjusting, but now they're quite enjoying the lessons and coming up with their own lesson plans and that sort of thing. Absolutely. In the same way that you just reframed your summer office situation, it's looking at it and saying, well, what are some of the advantages? Certainly, I'm finding like a lot of my kids who perhaps have attentional issues or learning issues, 
doing the work remotely and at home in some cases has been the best possible thing for them. Uh, they're able to get up and move around. They're able to kind of, you know, stand or dance or fidget or do the things that they need to do to keep themselves focused without it distracting the other kids and without the teacher getting on their case. Same thing, anything for where you have kids who learn at a different pace. Uh, either kids who are really bright and get bored in their traditional class waiting for the rest of the class to hear things three times and to catch up, or for the kids who perhaps need a little bit more time to get things done. Being able to do things in their own house without necessarily, you know, some of the direct scrutiny of some of their peers has been incredibly helpful. Some of the home curriculum has allowed for a lot of creativity and interest and exploration of things and increased opportunities, for example, to get outside. At the same time, it's not the right fit for everybody. And certainly the structure, the routine, the additional reliance on parents has provided some challenges. Probably one of the biggest benefits, and I look at this all around, is the increased use of technology. First of all, I think has been a great learning curve for a lot of us. Uh, but in terms of universal design, for example, for children with learning disabilities or learning disorders, who perhaps in the past were embarrassed to use some of the software or the adaptations that they were supposed to be using to help themselves out because they didn't want to look different from their classmates. Well, now if everybody's doing the work on Google Classroom, if they don't stand out so much. And again, I, and I don't want to minimize the impact that this has had on people. There's no question. I mean, the disease aside, because of course that's had devastating effects on individuals and families. So, because I like being able to look at some of the positives, but we also know that this pandemic is creating some really significant mental health struggles for a lot of individuals, including kids. So I want to make sure that I'm not minimizing that while focusing on some of the positives that have come out of it. No, for sure. And I think that's the that's the part of it that we kind of need to keep a focus on in a way is the is this devastating impact that it has had, especially on marginalized communities, where pre-pandemic they were having a rough time already, but now it's really exacerbated that. Oh, there's no question. And for me, one of my big struggles, especially in the early days, is unfortunately knowing school is often the one safe place that a lot of kids in this family uh, in this country have. Uh, it is a place where they can get uh, food. It is a place where they get nurturing and love and support and attention in ways that often aren't available in their home environment. So in the same way, we were very concerned in terms of things like uh, domestic disputes and domestic violence, obviously our concerns around the uh, safety of children as this pandemic has continued, continues to be a major concern. Again, just another take home, remembering your kids will model your levels of coping and your levels of anxiety. So the families who were being optimistic and sort of saying, look, no, we don't have everything sorted out about what school's going to look like, but we're going to get it sorted out. And let's look forward to the fun things as opposed to the panic about the safety and the, all the things that weren't going well. Those kids definitely picked up on it, but kids were excited to get back to school. They wanted to see their friends. They wanted to resume that structure in ways because, again, it was the adults who were kind of looking at it going, oh, no, I don't want my kids back in school. And the kids were chomping at the bit. Not everybody, but it was amazing how excited kids were in ways that really surprised me because I actually thought there would be a lot more negativity towards it. Yeah, I mean, you do kind of think of kids as, you know, the, the stereotype is, oh, I don't want to go to school. School's where learning is, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. 
but I don't or think the novelty that... after the first week, you know, <laughs> right. and then they're like, nah, I don't want to go back now. They've been excited. Yeah, they have. And I think, uh, I think we don't give kids enough credit for adaptability. Indeed. And I think that's what we have seen, like I said, over the last seven months, that flexibility. That's how we've been getting through this is the ability to say, okay, those were the rules yesterday. And I don't know what the rules are going to be like tomorrow, but this is what we're supposed to be doing today. So, okay, let's roll with it. But it's also important uh, just from a parenting perspective, especially for young kids, even though we're seeing that for the most part they're moving and they're grooving and they're, you know, going through with it. It's important every once in a while to just kind of have a little sit down with your kid and talk about what is going well. What are the things that they've been surprised with, but also still talking about those disappointments, talking about the things that they miss, whether it's the extracurricular activities, which, again, for a lot of kids was the only reason they were going to school. So right. if you're in Soccer after where, school or something, right? Exactly. Or music class or like whatever it is. For a lot of kids, that's what got them through the school day, and that's what motivated them, and that's where their friends were. So we do know that there are kids who are missing out on portions of their life. And unfortunately, those are often the areas that help develop their self-esteem, that help develop their leadership skills, that develop all the other skills that we need in life. So it might sound minimal to you to go, yeah, okay, you're missing floor hockey, whatever. For a lot of kids, that is something that we want to address with them. And again, it's important, no matter how minimal or major you might think it is as parents, validating it for them and saying, yeah, you know what? It's really, you're right. It's not fair that that's happening. Is there anything we can do to try to substitute? Is there something that we can do as safely as we can? And I think we're at the stage now where we are really trying to counterbalance that physical, you know, the physical risk versus the mental health risk of, as I said, do you let your kids go out on the street and play with a couple of other kids, even if you know they're not going to socially distance and wear their masks? Are you in a community where that's relatively safe and you know what that's going to do for their mental health versus is that just a horrible idea because the physical risks are just way too high? Well, I think that's good advice and I'm sure everyone can figure out what balance they're comfortable with. Uh, when well, it comes I know that to that's going like to change. Mm-hmm. Know that that's going to change on a weekly or monthly basis, depending on. I mean, I certainly feel here. I've always felt like I've been walking on eggshells, going, "Well, we're good now," but you know, because we had a massive outbreak early on, and we saw just how quickly things could happen. There is always that fear that things could change tomorrow. Things could happen very quickly, so we still need to be cautious. But it's balancing caution with the mental health needs of you and your family. Yeah, and I think a lot of that too comes down to sort of pushing the deadline, right? Okay, well, we're good for, you know, I remember when we left in March. Oh, a couple of weeks, we'll be back to work. We'll reassess. It'll take a little while, right? And then a couple of weeks went by. Well, in a month or so, a couple of months, and we're now seven, eight months in, and it doesn't look like there's any end, obviously, in sight. So I, I wonder how significant it is to continue pushing that light at the end of the tunnel down the road. And that's been so hard because I think initially there were, well, first of all, initially it was terrifying and we were seeing spikes and, you know, people were really struggling and everybody made that collective effort and said, okay, this is going to be a couple of weeks. We can do this. 
you know, again, almost turned into a bit of an adventure or a lot of families reframe it for their kids as a bit of an adventure, right? We're going to do some things very differently. And then kind of time more on, but at least we had a little bit of reopening so that people were able to go, okay, well, I can kind of manage this. We're constantly shifting and readjusting and it's, it's, it's a tricky balance of sometimes we just have to focus on what am I doing today? Because if I focus too hard on, you know, the trip that I was supposed to have been on this month that has now been rebooked for the same time next year. And well, is it going to go ahead next year? You know, like that, that can start to get really discouraging. And while you want to be practical about some things like thinking ahead towards Christmas and how something like Christmas or New Year's or, um, you know, yes, we're celebrating Halloween around here and there's trick-or-treating, but there certainly won't be any Halloween parties in the way that there often have been, which, you know, is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, yeah. Ours, so too. We've, we, yeah, we love Halloween around here, and uh, it's always so great. We do the same. We set up in our garage and the kids come by, but they have uh, tried to, they've basically canceled Halloween in Ottawa. No trick-or-treating because yep. we're in another spike here, so. Same thing, and uh, let me tell you, Halloween at a children's hospital is hands down the best day of the year because typically all the outpatients come in, like kids who are, you know, have regular appointments, and everybody dresses up, and it's a big old party, and of course none of that's happening, and kind of adjusting and figuring out, well, how can we make it look different? How again, talking to the kids. This is, this is how I deal with changes for a lot of things. Asking them, well, what is the part that's really important to you? What is truly your favorite part about Halloween? Or even we may need to be looking ahead to Christmas. What are the things you really like? And kids, especially young kids, may really surprise you. For some, it's the, you know what, I really like when we carve the pumpkin. Or I really like it when we toast the uh, pumpkin seeds. And we sit and we watch, um, you know, Charlie Brown Halloween special and we eat pumpkin seeds. We we focus on the trick-or-treating part. And for some kids, it's that costume. And hey, if they want to wear that costume around the house and to school for the next week, Power to them. Well, I can speak Nothing only for myself, <laughs> but I plan to, for every Zoom meeting in the week leading up to Halloween, wear my Teletubby costume, just so I get Absolutely. some use out of it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, but it's looking at, well, what are the parts? So as opposed to just looking at a holiday as a whole, really sitting down with your kids and saying, what are the parts that are really special to you? And like I say, and same thing, I hate that we're, you know, kind of looking ahead towards Christmas, but it could be same thing. Thanksgiving It's not always about getting all the family together. Sometimes it's the, I really like pie. Okay, we can get pie. We can make right. pie. That's yeah. easy. Um, but really helping them break down what are their favorite parts so that when they talk about missing things, and also validate, yeah, it's okay to be bummed out that we're missing stuff. This isn't fair. It's not fun. But what are the small aspects that perhaps we can capture? You know, I mean, again, I I hate that I I don't know why I'm focusing in on Christmas, but this is going to be a very different Christmas for a lot of people, even just financially, given everything that's gone on this year, let alone, you know, not necessarily having the friends and family from far and away, 
But for a lot of families, this is going to need to be a scaled-down Christmas, whether it's because physically you can't get out to shop or financially the situation for your family looks very different. So again, sitting down with kids and talking about what are the important things, what are your favorite things. And kids always amaze me. Same thing when we get towards Christmas. I never ask, what are you looking forward to having Santa bring? It's the, what are you looking forward to doing over the holiday? Right. And yeah. And that, that is a small thing, but my goodness, it makes a difference, especially as you sort of said, we've got a lot of disadvantaged kids in this country. And this year, I think there's a lot more people who are going to be feeling that financial pinch. I, and guilt. All the guilt that goes along with it, too. Great advice. And Janine, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This has been really great. And great to Anytime. finally actually speak to you in person. I know. This is this is very exciting. Well, one of these days we'll get the true in person. That will be that will be when we can probably celebrate. Yes. The next step from here is Zoom and then one day in actual person we can shake hands. <laughs> it's a plan. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Janine Hubbard, child psychologist, Newfoundland and Labrador and St. John's and the president of the APNL, or the Association of Psychologists of Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Anytime. And a reminder that Janine, along with all the other guests of the CPA podcast this season, will be participating in a webinar Thursday, November 10th at noon Eastern time. We'll be discussing racism, isolation, depression, anxiety, teletherapy, all in the context of COVID-19 and, with Janine, children, masks, school, and being cooped up in the house. If you have any questions you'd like to have answered on any of these topics, email them to me, Eric Bowman, at media at cpa.ca. The email will be in the show notes for this podcast, and once we have a proper link to the webinar, that will be placed in here as well. In a couple of days, we'll move west across Canada to Toronto, where I'll be speaking with Dr. Yael Goldberg of Baycrest about isolation. See you then.